to that. All right, good morning, everyone. Our second scripture comes from the book of Acts, which I believe is the sermon series this summer. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 6 through 16. Listen now to the word of the Lord. That very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter was bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards at the front of the door were keeping over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening was the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked on the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted, and it was so. They said, it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2016, the Dean of Students at the University of Chicago, Jay Ellison, wrote to the incoming class of 2020 that the university's commitment to academic freedom means we do not support so-called trigger warnings, we we do not cancel invited speakers because of their topics, and we do not contone the creation of intellectual safe space. This letter's condemnation of safe spaces set off a firestorm of debates within academia, but also in the greater conversation of what safe spaces are and how they're used. Traditionally within education, safe spaces were designed to be a physical and emotional space where students from traditionally marginalized groups could gather without judgment and experience acceptance. It is a way of creating a safe and caring environment. The reality on the ground is one in three college freshmen have a mental health issue. And the evidence in recent decades show a huge increase in that among college students. This is measurable, and this is a reality of college students right now. Another reality is that safe spaces have shown to have numerous psychological benefits. 
the ability to release defense me mechanisms, repression of self or expression, and anxiety are all necessary for flourishing and are an integral part of safe spaces. Sabrina Stevens, an activist and a progressive strategist, says no one can live in a constant state of vigilance. Your body is not designed to do that. The need for safe spaces is the need to literally not have your adrenaline system constantly firing at full tilt. It is psychological as well as physical, and safe spaces are designed to address that. Our scripture today is a pivotal moment in Christian history. In this moment, the Christian experience and the community is thrown into uncharted territories of the reality that to be a follower of Christ held the very real consequence of martyrdom, of being killed. Prior to Peter's imprisonment, our scripture announces that James, the brother of Jesus, one of the original 12 disciples has been executed by Herod. And immediately after James's execution, Peter is imprisoned with the clear conviction of being executed himself. It's important to understand how shocking James's death is and how terrifying Peter's imprisonment is. Although James, James is not the first Christian to die, we know Stephen was killed in a few chapters before in Acts 3. We know that Paul, before his conversion, persecuted Christians, tracking them down to imprison and most likely kill them. The idea that political movements could result in one's death is not foreign. It's not unheard of. But the death of James was shocking for the early Christian community. It was shocking because it shattered the illusion that somehow the 12 disciples would enjoy a divine protection. Many people believed that the 12 were set apart. And our scripture today is a moment of mourning, shattered reality, and legitimate fear for the church's leadership and followers. I want you to know this so that when we read the passage and we hear that many people gathered and were praying, in verse 4 it says, when Peter was arrested, the church earnestly prayed for him. I want you to know the real fear that was motivating these people to seek out safety in their community. When James was executed, when Peter was arrested, the people of the church knew where to go to be safe to feel comforted, to be with people who love them and understand them. In our story today, when Peter is on death's door, bound in two chains, guarded by people on either side of him, outside his door and throughout the prison, Peter is in a hopeless situation. He knows his reality as he just witnessed his dear friend and companion's execution. He knows he's next. And then something happens. The chains fall off his wrists. He's told to put on his shoes and belt, grab a cloak, and follow a stranger. Peter thinks he's dreaming or experiencing a vision. He is mindlessly following a dream through the prison out the front gate. When the angel disappears, Peter comes to himself and he realizes he has been rescued. The text says, as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. As soon as he realized 
He wasn't in prison. As soon as he realized his immediate danger was eliminated, Peter knew exactly what to do and where to go. Peter went to the house of Mary. He had no hesitation of what to do next. At his most vulnerable, Peter knew where to go. Peter went to Mary's. Our text tells us that when he got there, he knocked. And a woman named Rhoda came to the door and immediately recognized him. She was overjoyed. She ran to the church to let them know Peter was standing at the gate. He's here. And the community was doubtful and dismissed her, arguing that it was probably his angel or most likely a hallucination. Rhoda is out of her mind, the text says. She's seen things. She's crazy. All of this is going on far away from Peter. Arguments, accusations. Peter is just standing outside by himself. But Peter keeps knocking. Peter knew that this place was his safe place. He kept knocking. Peter kept knocking until everyone came to the door, and when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. Peter kept knocking until someone came to open the door. The church is supposed to be that place. The church is supposed to be a safe place, a place where whatever happens to you in life, you know you can go there. But the reality is that most people, when reading this story, know what it feels like to knock and not have the door open to them. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to know how Peter is feeling. In my work as the director of, of Nola Wesley, the soul, the only affirming Christian ministry for Tulane and Loyola universities, I work with students who have been knocking a long time. As we transition out of Pride Month this past June, it's important that we still hold space in our day and in our churches to talk about what it is to create a safe space and one that truly opens doors for those searching for community and refuge. I work with students who know that the church is supposed to be a safe space. They know that the church is supposed to be a community where they can show up authentically and fully themselves. And they are knocking and trying to be a part of the church. Our ministry is a place where students can explore their relationship with God and one another as their authentic, full self. We're trying to be a safe space for students. We are called to be, as a church, the place where Peter knew to go. And I, I am so happy that John Calvin Church has begun to be involved in, in our ministry, in this ministry. Every Sunday at 5 o'clock, Wesley gathers together and we share a meal followed by worship. And this year, Calvin has been so generous in providing us with meals for our students. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to worship with all of you this morning. This summer, I received a letter from a student. In the letter, the student wrote, an old core belief of mine was that God loves me despite who I am. You've taught me through your words and actions that God loves me because of who I am. This student has been knocking a long time. They're queer and they've been part of the churches that are inclusive but not affirming. The student kept knocking 
They knew that there was a place for them. They knew to come to the church. I love this story in Acts because it's so weird and it's so specific. Our writer Luke spends time, precious ink, to let us know that Rhoda didn't open the door. These little moments in the story, they actually, they show us historical accuracy. Right? I love it because of how true this story is. I love how we can imagine it happening. I bet that many of us, if not all of us, have seen or experienced having to keep knocking on a door. I want us to imagine what our faith would look like if we immediately opened those doors. What our community could look like if we were the place that people knew they could come to as a safe space, as a place of refuge, as a place of love. Our imagination is just a step from reality. Peter thought he was dreaming or imagining escaping prison, but with God, wonderful, amazing, miraculous things happen. Chains break, and we can come home. Open the door. Peter is knocking. Amen.